0: I'm on a mission to motivate, inspire, and most importantly, let each and every food blogger, including you, know that you are heard and supported. I know many of us are looking for new ways to monetize, but also new ways to engage our people and even find new people to pull into our blogging business in some way. Ashley Covelli from Big Flavors Tiny Kitchen talks to us about hosting either in-person or virtual cooking classes. I can't think of a single detail that we left out of this conversation. We talked through so much, whether you should work on your own or partner with a library or another organization, how to go about doing that, how to get people into your classes, how to engage with them inside of your classes, what to charge for them, what to do if something bad happens, (laughs) and even how to get comfortable in front of the camera if you do want to start teaching online. And so many other things. You are going to love this episode. It is so good. It is episode number 495, sponsored by Rank IQ. Hey, awesome food bloggers. Before we dig into this episode, I have a really quick favor to ask you. Go to your favorite podcast player, go to Eat Blog Talk. scroll down to the bottom where you see the ratings and review section. Leave Eat Blog Talk a five-star rating if you love this podcast and leave a great review. This will only benefit this podcast. It adds value and I so very much appreciate your efforts with this. Thank you so much for doing this. Okay, now on to the episode. Ashley Covelli is the food photographer, recipe developer, and culinary instructor behind Big Flavors from a Tiny Kitchen, and the co-founder of Passing the Plate. She loves helping busy people find time to cook delicious meals while reducing the amount of stress, money, and waste— involved in the process. She believes in the restorative and joyful practice of sharing meals in the community, preserving the recipes of our ancestors, and cooking as a way of creating memories with loved ones. Ashley's legitimately tiny kitchen is located in Ossining, New York, where she lives with her husband, son, and a feisty rescue cat. Her professional background is in graphic design and fine art, and she brings that aesthetic to her culinary creations. Ashley, hi, how are you today? Hi, Megan, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat about this. This is something that I think a lot of people are needing with just wanting extra revenue and, you know, stability and all of that in their businesses, so I'm super excited. But first, do you have a fun fact to share with us?
1: I do. I'm a bit of a nerd. I love games and trivia and puns, so I keep a, a like a running list in my phone of trivia team names Ooh. just in case I need them. <laughs> and it's just like, I don't know if I ever need to laugh, I just kind of like peruse through it or if I'm doing trivia with a friend. So like a couple, the one that I use the most often is the Big Kapowski. It's like a Big Lebowski and Saved by the Bell reference. Um, oh, a little yeah. niche, but I, I noted a few of the food related ones for this crowd if anybody's interested in a silly pun. So I have Shirley Temple of the Dog, Cacio e Peppa Pig, Lasagna Del Rey, and Deaf Boyardee, but it's spelled like deaf leopard. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's it, the list is ridiculous. It's very long. <laughs>
0: That's hilarious. So do you play, do you do trivia like out and about? I love doing trivia. I did it more regularly
1: pre-pandemic times. Now it's a little harder to wrangle people, but there are lots of local places that are trying to bring trivia back. So Mm -hmm. I'm always, I'm always down for some trivia.
0: So when I see the really fun, unique names up there, I'll be looking for you, Ashley. <laughs> yes, I'm everywhere. <laughs> and then there's always the boring names, right? Like John, yeah. John D. Mm-hmm. Like, really? Couldn't you think of anything better than that? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, I love that. Okay. You are here to talk about virtual cooking classes and how you got into that. And I'm really excited to hear your story with that. Do you want to talk us through your blog real quick first?
1: Sure. My blog is Big Flavors from a Tiny Kitchen. and The first question everybody asks is, do you have a tiny kitchen? I do. It's very small. (laughs) And I started it back in 2006. So I'm like dinosaur age when it comes to food blogging. Just kind of as a creative outlet, I had a graphic design job and I wasn't feeling very creatively fulfilled. So I was like, well, we have to eat. I might as well like try to make my food look pretty. So it was a hobby for a long time. And then over the years, you know, I started doing sponsored work and there's been a lot of iterations since those days. And then eventually I had somebody at my local library, uh, yoga class was like, I know you do stuff with food and you're so friendly. Like, would you ever consider teaching cooking classes? And I was like, absolutely not. I'm not interested. <laughs> no, but, but I came around to it. I was, I started doing some in-person classes with that library and then word kind of got out and, you know, they were really happy with me. They knew me cause I had gone to different programs at the library with my son when he was younger. So it was just kind of a fun, kind of fun way to get involved with the community. And then once 2020 happened, everything shifted virtual. And so that's kind of when that took over a different, like a different way of operating for everybody.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. I love that you were kind of not pressured, but encouraged into that. Like, yeah, you'd be really (laughs) good at this. And you were like, no, absolutely not. But you did it anyway, even though it seemed probably scary, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I had like back in high school, I taught daycare. So I was really comfortable working with kids. So I I started doing a lot of like teen classes at the library. And that's like a whole other level of interacting with people and making sure that people are being safe with the tools and everything. But it was a really like seeing them grow over the years and everything. It was like a cool way to get involved. And I did like a cheese board demo for new parents and like cookie decorating party and stuff. So
0: it was a lot of fun. Oh, my gosh. I love that. And I'm looking at your About page right now. That is like the ultimate charcuterie board. Oh, my gosh. It's like an entire table. (laughs) That was for a friend of mine locally who she
1: was really sick and she wanted to have like a big party while she was still feeling well. And so I don't normally do that. But the problem, like something like that for somebody, I did that whole spread myself. Oh, my gosh. And some past appetizers. I was like – immobile for a few days afterward but like she's just the sweetest person and it was a lot of fun it was super impressive but everyone's like oh hey can I hire you to do this and I'm like there is not enough money <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking doing it on my own
0: <laughs> well I'm glad you captured it because yes. <laughs> it's very very impressive you guys if you're listening you have to go check this out so go to dot tinykitchen.com slash about holy cow I want That's to be so, there right I, now
1: I just (laughs) redid my about page recently. Like it was very old. So I'm I'm glad that that was
0: appreciated. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love this. Is that one of your specialties doing like cheese board party boards? Yeah, I love doing them Um, whenever I share them online.
1: It's usually like if I'm having people over because, I mean, I can take out a whole cheese board on my own, but it's yeah, not same. necessarily like a smart idea <laughs> frequently. So, yeah, I've done a few cheese board classes in the past, too, because people are intimidated by it often, but you really can make it work with whatever you have. Like yeah. I'll often use like little bits from my That's fridge so and whatever. Just
0: Yeah. So I do enjoy a good board. Find those olives that aren't expired and throw them on. Yes. and cheese in the back of your drawer. Throw yes. that on as long as there's no mold. <laughs> it's yeah. <pretty> those easy. <laughs> last couple berries that are like you wanted to use them before they go. Yeah, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, they do look overwhelming and intimidating. But once you start piecing things together, it's really not that bad. And they're so delicious. And they're so fun too.
1: Yes. And everybody can get what they want. My son loves it. He's in middle school and he's just like, like snacks for dinner. Oh. It's like he loves it.
0: I have a snack or two. He that's like his dream to have one of those boards in our kitchen at all times. That would be oh my like gosh. heaven for him. <laughs> I'm <with> okay. Him. <laughs> yes, same. I could like you said I could take out an entire board myself, but maybe I shouldn't do that on a frequent basis, maybe just occasionally. <laughs> okay, so your cooking classes that started out in person turned virtual once we hit the pandemic times and everything changed. So, how did you like chain. Like how did you go about making that shift?
1: So for at first I was just trying to, you know, bring people some sort of comfort at home, you know, and togetherness because we were all so isolated. And the main difference I found with doing them virtually versus in somewhere like a library is you have your full kitchen. So you have whatever tools and cookware you need are there. It's not like when you're at the library, at least my libraries, it's like a push cart with a hot plate. Yeah. And like, you know, so you could really do cooking. So I really wanted to look at it like showing people how they can create something and they're in their own space so they remember the next time they go to make it without me hey I remember Ashley told me to use this and it was over here in my kitchen and like they can ask questions so I find that like that sense of being able to replicate what you make especially if it's something new to you is really great because if you're taking a cooking class at somewhere that doesn't have a real kitchen or on the other end of things one of those places that's got like crazy professional kitchen Mm -hmm. with like all of the like flames and you know it's like (laughs) it's cool, but it's not really like, it doesn't realistic. feel the same. Yeah. It's not realistic. It's like a fun project, but it's not like this is something I'm going to be doing for my family on a regular basis. Yeah. So yeah, I had to change. I had always put together like recipe cards that we would print out before my classes. But some of the other things that changed was like, I would put together a packet that would tell the people who were attending, like, This is the list of equipment that you need. So I'd have to read through my recipes and kind of like cook through them in my head and be like, okay, we need measuring spoons. We need like the stovetop. We need foil, you know, different things because I like to give everybody all the information they need up front so that they're prepared. So everyone's
0: not like scrambling at the last minute. So stuff like that was really important. Yeah. What else is in your packet? So you have equipment. Do you do like full recipes, any other information? Yeah. So my packets are like the first page will be like a just quick brief intro. And if it's partnered
1: with another organization, I'll mention that it's with them and any notes that they have. If there's any ingredients that might be a little tricky to find, I'll mention like, you know, this is usually in this aisle or at this type of store, or you can order it online Or if there's a note, anything that's like noteworthy that might be missed if they were just looking at the recipe. So that first page has that. It has the list of kitchen equipment that you need. And then the next page or however many pages it needs to be are the full recipes so that they can have all their ingredients I would always make a note that, like, you don't have to do any of the prep ahead of time. Like, we're going to do the whole thing together. And, you know, some people will come, like, they've already got everything diced and whatever. But, like, I really, you know, I want, I want it to be things that are attainable for people to do in whatever time frame we have.
0: Okay. I love that you're so well-equipped beforehand so that people come prepared. They know exactly what they're getting into. They're not like, oh, do I have to prep this? You know, like, you're very clear yeah. about it. Yeah. I'm sure that's a problem.
1: I try to be because I feel like it's it's just going to set them up for success and just also letting them know that like it's okay to ask questions. Like I've been I've taken some cooking classes where it's like very formal and very like this is what you do, but I try to I try to budget a little time for like if somebody needs to, you know, is a little slower or if there's a lot of questions because I just want to make it like a less intimidating place for people to be. I think there's plenty of reasons that people are afraid to like get in the kitchen and cook for their families or themselves. And I don't need there to be another barrier, you know?
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so great. I love that you do that. Make people feel comfortable and safe. You're coming to a safe space and all of that. Yeah.
1: Totally. And like laughing at myself, I feel like the the fact that I can do that is a huge benefit because like I've certainly chopped things and like stuff has fallen on the floor or whatever. And like that's just real life. And I think that people really relate to that. And they're like, Oh, okay, so it's not Pinterest perfect all the time, or it'll still look good, even if I accidentally diced something that I was supposed to slice, you know what I mean? Like, I've had people who have never used the broiler before they were afraid to. So I would like, take Mm -hmm. a moment and like, walk them through like, here's, you know, here's what you need to do. And, you know, I think having the encouragement of somebody there, not that like, if they had some sort of crazy mishap, I wouldn't be able to like step in and fix it for them. But you know, like helping to guide them through it and keep them calm about things I think is really important.
0: So the fire I started on live video, no (laughs) lie. I'm not kidding you, Ashley. This was like still to this day, one of my most lifetime embarrassing moments. Oh my gosh. Made me real and made people like me. And then the, the, (laughs) I literally like turned around, opened my oven And the parchment was too close to the boiler, I think, and caught on fire. So I closed the oven back up, but like people saw it. And then a few seconds later, my smoke alarm started going off. So I had to go take care of that. And it was, I literally stepped off camera and I was like, I just want to run away (laughs) screaming and die. It was so embarrassing. But I know like later people were like, it's okay. Like this, this happens. This sort of thing happens. Maybe not to that extreme all the time, but it does. It makes you real.
1: Yeah, and I feel like, so, like, for my classes, I purposely won't do anything that involves, like, certain cooking techniques because I know that it's possible (laughs) that I'll have to vent so loudly that I can't hear, (laughs) not necessarily fires, but, like, like, I'll air fry things briefly, but if there's, like, I have some recipes, like, I have a chicken wing recipe that I do in the air fryer, but, like, I know it gets real smoky, and we don't have a great ventilation option in my kitchen, so, like, sometimes the smoke detector goes off, and I just don't want to deal with that during a class, but, <laughs> but you know, if you have to, you have to. And always keep a, a little, they sell like mini fire extinguishers. You can
0: keep one in oh your kitchen. Gosh. I wish someone would have told me that beforehand. <laughs> that would have been good. I was over there like fanning it with my hand. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So you mentioned earlier partnering with organizations. So how do we know whether we should just do this solo right o- right off the bat or if we should partner with somebody?
1: So, I think there's a lot that you need to kind of look at ahead of time. Like, for a while, I was selling individual ticketed cooking classes. So, all of the promotion, coming up with the materials, all that fell on me, and it was a lot. And, like, sometimes I would have great sales. Sometimes it wouldn't be as much, or I wouldn't have as much time to focus on actually promoting. So, when you partner with either, say, a company who wants to do like a team building exercise or like I partner with a lot of libraries, there's local community centers, things like that, or, or just families like doing private classes. If you're partnering with an organization that has reach and they have people that they are already marketing to, or they have their calendar online with their events, it kind of helps in a way because you don't have to take it all on yourself. So I think that's a good, it's a good step to try to like lessen the pressure on yourself a little bit, because I'm, I certainly can overcomplicate things. And (laughs) it's nice to have somebody else to do that. And then two, when you're partnering with an organization, like a library, for instance, they might have different themes that they do like for the month, like uh, there was one month, that was um, like Hispanic heritage month. So they were like, Hey, could we do something like in this arena, recipe wise, and so sometimes you get a little guidance. So you're not just kind of throwing, throwing anything out there. And I think that that can help too.
0: So how do we find these organizations or do you just simply call the library and ask? So, well, I think
1: a if you don't, Patronize your public library, you should. They're such great resources. I mean, especially like i I always have loved books. but um, when I had a young kid, there's all these wonderful free programs. So, like just taking advantage of the resources, like you pay taxes, you're already paying for them. Yeah. but there's a lot of I feel like if you've spent time there and you kind of get to know the people, that's a great organic way to go about it. That's how I did. But obviously, if you're starting now, you could always with a library, There's usually somebody that you would talk to, like the head of adult services or teen services or children's services, or sometimes they might have a separate programming person altogether. And then like with me, once I started doing programs for one library, other local libraries that are within the same system, the word kind of spread. And so they'd reach out to me. So I didn't do a ton of outreach on my own, which was nice, but you certainly could. I mean... Anywhere that you, like if you have a rec center, you could just go in and say like, hey, you know, I I offer this programming. Is this something that you think would be of interest to you or your, you know, the clients or the local people who come in? Yeah. Or churches. Yeah. Churches. Absolutely. I thought it would be really cute to like look at maybe like retirement centers or something. But like I just I like I really have a fondness for like kids and old people. (laughs) So I feel like that could be fun. But I feel like there might be, it might be a little tricky with,
0: yeah. I don't know,
1: it could be a little tricky. And I know like right now with it's what, getting toward the end of 2023, a lot of places got a little Zoom fatigue during the pandemic. Yeah. So a lot more people are interested in in-person cooking classes. But there is really, a, especially for kids, if you're good with kids and they make very eager learners, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of opportunity to actually work in person with people around food. What about schools? Do you ever go into schools? So I have, I've done like for my son's school, I would go in, we did like corn muffins one year, but like we made them. I had to bring them home to bake them <laughs> and then bring them back. Oh, <laughs> um, Cause they don't, you know, they don't have like a kitchen, but it was around yeah. Thanksgiving. So we were doing that. I've done where like I've baked cookies and brought them in and we've decorated them. A couple years ago, I did a like hot cocoa mix because one of my teachers in middle school did that with my class and it's something that like kind of stuck with me and has become like a family tradition so around this time of year that year I did that with my son's class and that was they're a little older it was pretty messy but it was a lot of fun
0: yeah so for your in-person events that you do do you charge money or do you just do it for reach or both
1: oh no I so i Always charge. It's a lot. There's a lot of work that goes into it. And if you're looking to make like a lot of money doing cooking classes, I would say libraries aren't necessarily the way to go because it's a, you know, it's a community organization. They do have a budget, but it's not going to be huge. I just kind of like have this affinity for the connection and the community. So I kind of, I'm still making money, but it probably, probably the hourly rate is not amazing. Right. But doing something like reaching out to corporate, whoever's in charge of HR or something for like a team building type of thing that you're, that you could do more
0: high end. Oh, a good idea. Just yeah. like big corporations who do, mm-hmm. they look for those opportunities all the time.
1: Yeah. I yeah. remember when, when I had a corporate job, they had like somebody come in and did like yoga for everybody. And it was right. like, you know, I'm sure she made a lot more money than she would have if she did, like, a small private class or whatever.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's such a good idea. And if you live in a big city, you can just kind of look around, like, what what headquarters are there and just mm-hmm. reach out to those. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anything else about in-person classes?
1: I think just being aware of, like, what what you're actually working with and the age of the people that you're working with. Because I've found younger kids, like, elementary age, are actually way more adept often in the kitchen than teenagers because they're not distracted by their phones. They're not like, they're more eager to like learn and pay attention. They haven't hit that, like that phase, you know, you have kids. So it's like, you know, so I think that a lot of times I would do the same class, like the same theme for two different age groups. And the younger kids actually were like, more on the ball with it, like getting things done in a good amount of time, Yeah, uh, which was kind of funny. The other thing, find out if if you're doing this like partnered with a place, who's doing the setup and the dishes. So like one library I worked with, I did everything. Another one, I would give them a list. They would do the shopping. I would come help them set the room up, but they had someone who would do dishes because dishes is like, oh. honestly...
0: One of the worst parts, because it's it's so much cleanup. So you know, paying attention to that—it's the bane of our existence as a food blogger. The dishes—we never we never get taught about the fact that there are going to be piles of dishes afterward. We're like, oh, this will be a fun job. Oh wait.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if you're doing a class, whether it's online or in person, you have to like you can't really clean as you go so well because you're busy like, you know, walking right. people through things. So it's just like all at the end.
0: <laughs> oh gosh, that's overwhelming. Yeah, that's a good thing to think through in advance and even if you could bring somebody with you to maybe help with that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I feel like getting like a high school kid or something sure. to just like, you know.
0: Put but your yeah, kids some to work. of the,
1: like some I'm all about that. My son is, like, great with editing video. Okay, um, he's like, yeah. Yeah, dishes, dishes, not so much, but, I know. you know, certain, certain things you can
0: outsource. I, it takes me a lot to get my kids to do the dishes without a very bad attitude. Are you tired of falling through the cracks as a seasoned food blogger? It's just assumed that once a food blogger gets to a certain number of years or a certain level of traffic – that they don't need resources or direction any longer. We're good, right? No, we're not good. This couldn't be further from the truth. Seasoned food bloggers need guidance and relevant information too. There are ways to find the guidance and support we need, such as high-quality mastermind groups and retreats, but if those options don't align with your budget or your schedule, then you're kind of out of luck. We are relegated to sorting through all the information in Facebook groups when we don't know how trustworthy the sources of information even are. All of this is exactly why my friend Melissa, the blogger behind Mama Gourmand, and I have decided to put together a workshop style summit geared specifically toward advanced food bloggers. We are gathering no more than 50 people in Denver, Colorado in May 2024 to give monetized food bloggers the love and support they need and deserve. Go to FlavorMediaSummit.net to get all the information you need about speakers, dates, our vision for the event, and to fill out an application. This experience is going to be highly valuable and one of a kind. We cannot wait to see some of you there. Many of the spots have already been taken for this event. So if this is intriguing to you, fill out an application today. Go to FlavorMediaSummit.net, follow the link to tickets and application, and apply today.
1: So the other thing though about working with kids, I mean, I I don't mind, I said I like trivia, I don't mind like throwing that in for adults too, but I would kind of build in like extra time for if it took them a while to get through something. But I had come with like, if we were doing like we did mini pizza bagels, I came in with like trivia about like the ingredients that go into pizza and stuff like that. So if you have something that's like baking, what are you going to do for the Eight, 10, 12 minutes, it's in the oven, you know? Ah, so there's going to be like yeah. dead time. So that's kind of something you need to think about. I've had like, I did one where we were making um, puppy chow. Is that called yeah. that everywhere? Yeah. Okay. It was a teen class and that was in person. And I had them like kind of trivia and like whoever would get the answer right got to pick like extra mix ins. So like extra candy. So oh, just kind of like gamifying amazing. things and making it more
0: interactive.
1: So it's not just like, we're mixing these things in a bowl and then we're waiting, you know?
0: Yes. That's the awkward part. I didn't Mm -hmm. think through before I did. I've only done a few virtual classes, but the few that I did, that was the part where I was like in my head, oh crap, what Mm -hmm. am I going to talk about? So then I just was like, do you guys have any questions? And people started asking me random questions about like my blog. Like when did you start blogging? And then like, wait a second, this doesn't have anything to do with the recipe. So (laughs) thinking through that is probably good.
1: Yeah. And you can always like ahead of time, if you're like, if you're doing a virtual class, especially, I feel like this kind of lends itself. If you have an ingredient that's either in the recipe you're making that you could just talk a little more about, or like sometimes I'll be making something and I'll be like, oh, there's this other recipe that if you ever want to make something similar to this, it involves this ingredient. And I'd like pull it out and talk about it like pomegranate molasses, just like something that's a little different. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm doing, especially with kids, if I'm doing like a dried or fresh herb, sometimes I'll show them like, hey, this is what it looks like dried, but this is what it looks like fresh, or this is what a cumin seed looks like, and this is what it looks like when it's ground, stuff like that,
0: just to kind of like involve other senses in it. Mm, And if you're doing in person, you could have people smell it too, especially kids who don't know those smells yet. That would be a really Mm -hmm. good way to just engage them and like I don't keep them interested,
1: yeah. one one of the most fun ones that I did with like kind of the middle school age kids. we the last one of whatever session we were doing, we did like a kind of like a mystery box chopped challenge kind of thing. And so we had all these bags full of different ingredients. and we enlisted like four of the librarians to judge. So each team had, like, a certain amount of time to make whatever dish, and then the librarians came in and, like, judged blind, like, which dish they liked best, and it was just, like, I think we gave them extra points for, like, whoever took the most creative photo of it with their phone. Aww. So, you know, just, like, making it more fun and not always about following a recipe, because following a
0: recipe is important, but you can also have fun with things. Yeah, and not just seeing the teacher lecturing, you're actually teaching mm-hmm. them. Yeah, that's huge, especially for your kids. yeah. Okay. Anything else about in-person? This is all so interesting. I love it.
1: I think just, you know, realize that everybody's human. Some days are going to be harder than others and like try to have fun with it and just be approachable. Because I feel like if you're easygoing and having a good time with it, it won't be as intimidating for people. And at the end of the day, like that's what we want. We want people to like want to get into the kitchen and cook. And especially like the younger generation, like having that be a skill that they bring To their adult life, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, I think this concept is a little bit intimidating for people, which can Mm -hmm. make people a little more anxious and kind of rigid and on edge. So, do you have tips for that? Is it just repetition or do you have any other tips? Repetition definitely
1: helps. I think selecting recipes that take a lot less time than the time you have is really important so that you're not like cramming. If something goes awry or somebody has a hard time, you're not like trying to catch up too hard and then yeah just practicing like I feel like even with like a musician like they still get butterflies before a big show even if they've played a million times it's just like part of the experience of it yeah just do it keep doing Mm -hmm. it keep doing it well and like if you're so we're talking in person just keeping good connection with the whoever's in charge so if it's a library the librarian or, you know, an HR rep, if you're working with a company or a, a, the family member who hired you, if, like I've done private cooking classes for families, like just keeping in touch with them and following up and being like, you know, Hey, is there anything like coming up that you would like to, you know, do another cooking class for, or is there like, what, what was the feedback from either mm. the patrons or, you know, your clients or whoever client appreciation is. That's another one that I've done oh, before. Yeah. Like, there's a local realtor who's hired me a couple times to do programs for her, like, end of the year, thanks to all her clients. So there's a lot of different ways you can go with it.
0: So word of mouth, I imagine, for you is huge. People just start talking about you. Yeah. Yeah. Share your name. Share you. Yeah. Okay. So what is the difference between virtual classes based on everything you've talked about? What do we have to do differently for those? So
1: if you're fortunate to have great natural light, that's amazing. I am not. So I have to set up lighting in my kitchen. Also, I mean, you never know with the weather like you could have a lot of windows and everything, but if the weather's kind of funky, you really want people to be able to see what they're what they're doing with you. I have a two camera setup so I use my laptop. Um I actually To get it to the right height, I have it on top of like the base of a tea maker, which is kind of ridiculous, but (laughs) you know, whatever works because you want it to be at a good height and the way my kitchen is set up, it's kind of, that's my main camera. It's kind of like a side view, but then I have like a little overhead angle that I use on my phone and I do it over zoom. So I'm able to pin or spotlight both of those angles so people can see both at the same time just to kind of get a sense of, you know, what I'm chopping or whatever um And then occasionally I'll just like take my phone over to the stove if they need to see it. Otherwise, I'll bring things like from the stovetop to show them on the camera so they can see like, you know, this is the texture you're looking for or when you are explaining like explaining what you need to smell or see or feel since they're not there in person with you. I think that's really helpful. And then I have a, a lav mic that the receiver plugs into my laptop and then I clip it on to my apron. Do you think there is any other
0: equipment? Sounds pretty simple.
1: It's pretty simple. If you have an Ethernet cable, like plug into the Ethernet because your connection will be better. Uh, So I usually do
0: that. That's a good tip. Yeah. And then how do you go about like getting your people together for this class and announcing it and how long and all of that?
1: That gets tricky. So depending on, like when I do them with the library, it's in, it's on their calendar. I have an events tab on my website. So I list, since I do things with various public organizations and everything, I list everything there. So if somebody wants to do a class with me that's hosted by the Austining Library, they don't have to live in my town, but they can still join and they can get, they can link to the registration info there versus somewhere else. You know, social media email lists, word of mouth is really great. But yeah, I think it depends to like certain organizations have more tech savviness, if you will, than others. So I mean, also legitimately like printing out a flyer and putting it up at the coffee shop or whatever like that. People find things in all sorts of different ways. So you can't just assume because, you know, I'm scrolling on Instagram, I can't assume that somebody else will.
0: Right. But you do tap into your blog audience, I assume. Yeah. Get people that way. And then how big are your virtual classes typically? It depends. I
1: want to say like
0: the most maybe that I would have
1: comfortably without another person, like like a lot of times a librarian or somebody will stay on and kind of help like wrangle in the chat if we need if there's questions that I'm not catching. But I would say like comfortably like 20 people is like comfortable if I'm completely solo I could handle more depending on how involved the recipe is I don't know what the most I've had was probably in the 40s but lately like I said I think people are a little a little zoomed out so the classes are a little smaller which is kind of nice because you can interact
0: more one-on-one people aren't necessarily as shy to ask if they have questions and then how long is a class I suppose it depends on the recipe yeah what like is there something that's too long
1: I like to do an hour like as kind of the suggestion, but depending like one of the client appreciation groups that I do, we do like an hour and a half. I think anything beyond that is a little, might get a little much for people. And if I'm doing an hour and a half, like we're doing like a cocktail or a mocktail, an appetizer and like a main dish or like a dessert, you know, like we're doing multiple things. It's not, yeah, like we're hanging out, we're having a good time, we're chatting yeah. you know, And okay. not everybody that comes is going to cook and that's fine. Like they might just want to come and hang out and cook later. I know when I attend other people's virtual classes, I like to sit and watch and like see what they're doing and then I'll go do it again on my own another time. So oh, it just kind of okay. depends on your style.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then how do you sell tickets and what is a good price point? Oh, see,
1: this <laughs> is, so I used to use air subs. That was the thing like twenty twenty it was so wonderful, and then it they went out of business. I kind of stopped doing individually ticketed classes because it got clunky to do the system that I had figured out was like a gum road like product yeah. listing it was it's a little clunky, but like you can do it that way. I have had more success with like uh selling the class to like a company or a private client okay. or whatever. And then so I'm making the same amount of money regardless of how many people show up on their end. I have had there was one like a kind of like a YMCA type of place that did like they paid me a certain amount and then they charged for tickets, which I thought was kind of strange. But because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, well, are you making more money than what you're paying? Right. Me? Or, you know, I'm doing all this stuff. But, you know, it was their audience. So, yeah. And I think price wise i mean it really depends i there's a, like a like i was saying before a corporate you know if coca cola wants to do a cooking class with you like you're going to charge them more than you're sure. going to charge like a family in your neighborhood that wants to do
0: cookies you know yeah so you kind of have to feel out who you're targeting and Absolutely. who you're working with yeah now if somebody were doing it just on their own like to their audience solo do mm-hmm. you have a recommendation for pricing with that I really, I don't,
1: I'm so bad with talking like money. (laughs) I feel like there's so many factors, like the ingredients that you're using, like what type of recipe is it? If you, if you're able to figure out like what you want your hourly rate to be, you could then see like, okay, I would need to sell this many tickets at this price to make this hourly rate. Or if you charge a flat rate, I don't know. I think it gets really tricky.
0: Yeah, I guess like figuring out how many people you want to be there about approximately Mm -hmm. your hourly rate and then kind of based it on that. When I was doing my few virtual classes, I think I was charging between, okay, it's been a long time, so I might be wrong, but I think it was like between 15 and like $40 a ticket. Mm -hmm. I mean, depending on like there was one recipe that was really extensive and took like it took me all day to prep and I was like I'm charging a little bit more for this right and I mean I never had any more than probably 10 to 12 people show up Mm -hmm. so I mean that was decent but yeah
1: I want to say when I was charging per ticket and again it's been a while since I've done that particular format I want to say like $20, $25, 20 $25, yeah. somewhere around there where it's like it doesn't feel like a splurge to people. And for a while, I was charging less for kids' classes, and they were a little bit shorter. But then I think I kind of evened everything out. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Okay, anything else we need to know about virtual classes? I think
1: just uh, put yourself out there. Like it doesn't hurt to try. And if it's not for you, it's not for you. And just like getting in front of the camera and just talking to it like it's somebody hanging out in the kitchen with you instead of like feeling like you're on a stage in front of a bunch of strangers is really important.
0: That's a hard one. A lot of people don't do social media or video for this very reason. They don't want to be in front of the camera.
1: You know, I always was like, I I went to art school. I always was into like like film photography, all this stuff. So I would be very used to being behind the camera, not in front of the camera. And I never thought I wanted to be in front of the camera. But then I was on a press trip years ago, and they had like a cooking competition, and we were part of the cooking competition. And it was like one of the people from Food Network was one of the judges. And we were like, I was like, okay, well, I'm just gonna have to get comfortable being in front of the camera, I guess. And it wasn't like it was a lot of fun because I just didn't put pressure on myself. And I was like, okay, maybe this wouldn't be so hard. So I started doing like random Facebook lives. I'd be like, all right, like on Friday, I'm going to go live on Facebook and I'm just going to, you know, people can come hang out while I make whatever. And that just kind of got me more comfortable, like being on the camera and like engaging with people as they're talking to me in real time. So I think that kind of got me more comfortable so that when it came to, like, actually trying to sell something that I'm, like, interacting with people. It's not so weird or awkward. (laughs) Yeah. And again, really being able to laugh at yourself is huge and, like, not taking yourself too seriously and realizing that as perfectly set up as everything could be, like, something probably will go wrong and it's okay. Like, it's fine. Hopefully it's not a fire. (laughs) Hopefully it's not a fire. And if it is, hopefully you contain it properly. But yes.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh, I kind of forgot about that. I think I blacked that experience out, but oh (laughs) gosh, I get sweaty just thinking about it. Okay, any I guess thoughts about getting comfortable. I know like doing stories on Instagram was Mm -hmm. one way that I taught myself to get comfortable. Way back in the day, I was the most awkward person ever. I'd be like, Hi, I'm Megan. I am here (laughs) to teach you about lemon curd. Like, what? And I knew that I needed to change that. So I just started getting on stories and like as painful and awkward as it was, I just talked for like one minute a week or something like that.
1: Oh, totally. I think like I'm definitely like recovering perfectionist. So just like trying (laughs) to let go of that as much as you can. And I think like for me with realizing that live interaction is better for me than like scripting and like overthinking and overproducing. Because if you're live, like it's just what happens happens and like that's that's what it is and the next time you can do something differently if you want. So if definitely doing Instagram stories is a great way to do that and if, you, if you're really paranoid about it, if you don't just want to riff, you could make like just a couple bullet points. Like don't write out a paragraph of what you're going to talk about because then you'll read it word for word. But if you just wrote like a couple things that you want to talk about and just like touch on those things and just see what comes up. And you don't have to record in the Instagram app. I always record things on my camera separately. So if I completely flub it, Mm -hmm. I can just re-record and then upload it. Like, you don't have to – like, stories are a safe place to kind of, like, experiment with it a little. You can still start over if you want before you go live. Yes. But, yeah, Yeah. just go with the flow and realize that, like – it's not that serious, like, yeah. and goofing up makes you human. And I think people appreciate that. Like at the I'm end sure. of all my classes, I share a cooking class aftermath video, just showing like what a disaster my kitchen looks like, because people don't usually see that. And I can't clean as I go when I'm teaching. So I get more comments on that than a lot of I love things. It. <laughs> like, people are so like, Oh my gosh, like, I'll do your dishes. Can I eat your food? It's like, oh,
0: I wish like that so would be a great. Over. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Any other tips, Ashley, about any of this? This is so good. I'm actually feeling inspired and I did prior to our chat. I did not want to do this. (laughs) But yeah, any just things that we've missed before we start saying goodbye that you feel like we need to mention?
1: I think making sure that you don't overdo it because I definitely did like it's hard to say no when you have people that are interested in whatever area of your business, you know, whether it's like sponsored posts or uh affiliates or teaching classes, like you just need to make sure that you kind of like protect your energy levels and that you're putting yourself into it like at a good level. So you're not, I know I was doing like seven or eight classes a month for a while and it was too much. I had fun with it, but it was like physically, it was a lot, especially keep in mind if you're doing a virtual class at home, you have your setup, including whatever recipe, testing, whatever like packet you're going to put together or recipe cards ahead of time, plus setting up your kitchen, plus doing the class, plus cleaning up after the class. So what's only a one hour class is really Mm -hmm. a lot more work than that. So just keep that in mind when you're figuring
0: out like what you want to charge and how often you can do it. Yeah, that's really great advice. You don't always think about that prep work and how extensive and just, the tech and setting that up and making sure everything's working. I remember that being an ordeal. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. By the time I was done, I was exhausted.
1: Oh, for sure. And test your gear. Like if you could like, if you're doing your classes over Zoom, which is what I do, you know, my mom lives in another state. So I'll be like, hey, mom, like, could you like... Hop on a Zoom with me. I want to make sure like the lighting looks good or the the sound is working right. and charge your microphone. Always charge your microphone. And you may think that having the microphone on your computer is enough, but if you're moving around the kitchen, you're not always right there. So I really recommend having one of those little clip-on lab mics.
0: Yeah. And they're so easy. They're very affordable and they're very yeah. easy and intuitive to use as well.
1: Yeah. And I just, I charge mine after every class that I teach, but then I also... Charge it again before every class I teach, just in case from sitting in the closet for right. a you week or whatever, know. two weeks, you never know it's not going to hurt, and you don't want it to go dead and, but on the flip side of that, if you realize it's not charged and your class is about to start, don't panic. It's fine. Just speak a little more loudly. Yeah. tell people, hey, let me know if you're having a hard time hearing. I'll come closer to the microphone. I usually tell people at the beginning of class don't be afraid to ask questions. We're it's very open to feedback. I'm, you know, I want you to have success here. If I'm talking too slowly, which never happens or too fast, <laughs> like a Gilmore girl, just let me know. I can slow it down. If you need me to like show something again, like just putting people at ease, I feel like, especially if you're
0: able to do that naturally, yeah. like in your everyday life, it hel- it's a big help. Oh, such great advice. Okay, I love this because this can be an additional stream of revenue, but it can also be a really great way to engage your people and pull more people in and get out in the community and meet new people and make new connections. So many good things can come from this. Yes,
1: and you'll be known forever as the lady who made the library smell like Belgian waffles. Like, for (laughs) real.
0: (laughs) I love it. Thank you so much, Ashley. This was such a great conversation. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. Do you have either a favorite quote or in- words of inspiration to leave us with today?
1: I do. I've This has been this quote. I didn't hear it from the original author when I first heard it, but it stuck with me forever. And I looked up who said it. Apparently, it's Penny Reed, who's an author. And she said, don't set yourself on fire trying to keep other people warm. And that's resonated with me in my life in so many ways, just especially as like a nurturing person or somebody who likes to care for others. It can be really easy to give everything to everybody and not maintain yourself. So I think being conscious of that and making sure that you're not doing
0: too much just to try to make other people comfortable is really important. You have no idea how much I needed that message this week. I mean, this is like what... My last season, my this season has been about for me just like this very thing. So I almost got teary when you said that. I was like, no way. Thank you so much for and saying I that. I almost got teary hearing you. Oh. Teary. <laughs> it's Seriously. funny because like
1: it's been it's been probably a decade since I've heard this. And at various times in my life, like it's come back and it just resonates on different levels all the time.
0: I actually wrote it down and I'm gonna put it, I have like this. This system where I put things on post-it notes when I just mm-hmm. hear them and I need to be reminded of them. So I'm going to put that on a post-it note as soon as we're done talking and I'm going to put it right Aww. here on the monitor. So thank you for inspiring me with that. Thank you. I'm for this so glad. Yes. We will put together a show notes page for you, Ashley. If anyone wants to go peek at those, you can go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash big flavors, tiny kitchen. Tell everyone where they can find you, Ashley.
1: So you can find me on my website, bigflavors, com. I'm on the socials at Big Flavors. And then I have this new side project that I'm working on with a friend. She's a genealogist and we've teamed up. It's called Passing the Plate. So we have PassingThePlate.org. We're doing, we've done a webinar and we're doing a lot of things about like documenting your family recipes for future generations and just really connecting with family, whatever that means to you, whether it's your blood relatives, your chosen family, but just like really kind of nurturing your sense of like togetherness wherever you are in life, because I feel like the world can be very isolating sometimes. And just trying to bring that back, you know, especially
0: around food. So cool. When did you guys start that project?
1: We've been trying to figure out for years how to work together. And um, we met in a business mastermind a million years ago. And just in October, we did a webinar. And then we got a really great response from that. And the ideas have just been kind of flowing. So we've got like a little workbook to help people collect stories behind the recipes, as well as how to actually like document the recipes from people. And we're just trying to get like all that cozy,
0: those cozy feelings back. <laughs> I love that. What a great project. That's so cool. Yeah, thank you. And you can also find Ashley at Flavor Media in Denver. Super oh, excited yes. to meet you there in May. So, I'm excited. I went to Denver for the first time last summer and it was
1: so much fun. Yeah. It's an amazing city. It's so fun.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, excited to see you there and maybe a couple other of you who are listening too. But thanks again, Ashley, so much for being here and thank you for listening, food bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Eat Blog Talk. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you posted it to your social media feed and stories. I will see you next time.